0: Uh, If you have your Bibles, open to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to continue this morning taking a walk. Taking a walk with Jesus. Following Jesus. Following Him, not just to gain more head knowledge, but ultimately to grow up into Him. To be like Him. Ephesians 4, 1 and 2, we've been in these verses. Trying to understand what it is to follow Jesus in light of incredible scriptural truths about who we are in Christ, our position in Christ. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, the Apostle Paul is writing to the believers in Ephesus, I urge you, beseech, beg you, implore you, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What he's saying there is to, to have our walk match our talk. That our daily life would match our doctrine. That's what it means to have a life worthy of the calling. It's a scale. That the scales are in balance, right? Verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Right? I beseech you, I urge you to have, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. In some versions it says to have a walk. And, and that picture of a walk has really, really helped me to understand what he's trying to convey, he says, hey, as you walk, as you follow Jesus, it's step by step. It's just one step at a time. Sometimes when we come to Christ and, and we see others, you know, we're great at comparing ourselves to other people than we consider spiritual giants, right? And, and sometimes it seems really daunting, really intimidating. I could never be. How many of you have ever said to yourself, I could never be like so and so? Anyone? Right? I could never be. And, and if you repeat that long enough, You kind of can intimidate yourself into being frozen. And the truth is, following Jesus is literally just one step at a time. One step. Right? We saw in verse 2, the first step is be completely humble. this humility before who God is and His holiness and His majesty, right? And that first step brings us to our knees. And then last week we saw on our knees, he says, no, you got to get up. Lord, I want to stay here. I want to stay here. I, just, I love being with you. I love the quiet times. I love worship. I put on music. I sing. Right? How many of you worship at home more boisterous and free than even here? Because no one's around. No one can hear you. And you just, you just let loose. You're like, Lord, I love these times. And I just want to stay here. And he's like, no, you can't stay here. I need you to go out and be salt and light. But how do I do that? He says, go out in meekness. And we looked at meekness last week, and, and so it's a walk, it's a step, humility. Humility leads us to the next step, which is meekness, right? And I was, I was thinking of this walk, and then, and then it got me to thinking of, of how, how little kids learn to walk. And, and it's fascinating if you do some reading and the scientific research on, on learning to walk, from, from being completely helpless to to crawling, to, to this process of learning how to walk, right? I love this quote. There's an article, and it's titled this, Infants learn to walk by learning to fall. <laughs> right? It says, in general, parents' instincts are to catch their children before they fall in many aspects of in life. But, as with many things that require you to fail before you can succeed, infants need to learn to fall before they can learn how to walk. Now, some of us growing up, we, we had that sense of adventure, sense of spirit. How many of you were pretty much, let's do it, when you were young? And then somewhere along the line, you grew up. And you started adulting. And in this adulting, you got safe. And you didn't want to take risks anymore. And you were afraid to fail. Because maybe you failed once or twice or three times. And, and then people started saying, I told you. I told you not to do that. I told you you would fail. Oh, there you go again. What's the use? Or you have these dreams, and you share dreams with somebody. And someone says, you? Come on, man. And and, and you, have, you were at this age, and I bet some of you, all of us, had this season of life. where, we were just this kid, and we were just going out there. And how many of you rode a bike perfectly the first time? How many of you had a few stumbles and bumbles? And, right? But what did you do? You got back up! And somewhere along the line, as adults, we grew up. And then I think sometimes as Christians, we carry that into, into our walk with Jesus, and we, and we just, we're going to play it safe. And, 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 you know, we come and we do these little things... But these voices come into our head and said, you're never going to grow up into a mature believer. You're never going to be able to pray. You're never going to be able to understand Scripture. You're never going to be able to. You're never going to be able to. Why even try? Oh, you're going to fail again. And so even as a Christian, you have this desire to be free to follow Jesus, and yet suddenly you get, ugh! And you're afraid to uh, fail. Fear of failure creeps into the church and Stifles us. Stifles us. That's why I love Peter. Anyone like Peter? I love Peter. Jesus said something, Jesus says something, and Peter... Come here, Jesus. Right? Peter's just out there. And the, the lesson I love from Peter is he's just out there, he's trying to follow Jesus, he's doing the best he can. He fails. He fails, but he grows. Right? He's growing through the failures, and Jesus doesn't kick him to the side. He says, come here, come here, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. He He doesn't give up on him, right? There's another article that says, how do you learn to walk? Thousands of steps and dozens of falls per day. Right? They did this research for 12 to 19 months, uh, 12 to 19 month old learning to walk. They, they, they were just watching them over a period of time, they discovered that this particular (laughs) group fell an average of 17.4 times per hour. (laughs) (laughs) Learning to walk 12 to 19 month olds fall 17.4 times per hour. That's just part of the deal. And I think, okay, how many of us in our spiritual walk even risk failing 17.4 times per hour. Right? Why don't we have that freedom? i got to walk. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to grow up into Jesus. I want to be spiritually mature. Let me try this. Let me, oh, 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 oh. And sometimes we, get, we we just clamp down and we stifle ourselves, and now we don't even want to try. Because somehow we equate falling with, I guess I'm a failure I don't even want to try anymore, right? I mean, 17.4 times, not a day, an hour. An hour, right? Another article says, it takes most babies about a thousand hours of practice from the time they pull themselves upright to the time they can walk alone. A thousand hours of practice from the time they pull themselves upright to the time they can walk alone. What does that mean for us as believers? Pull yourself up. Okay, Jesus, here I am. I'm following you. You make that decision to the time that you can walk in the Spirit. How many of us devote? What would happen? What would happen if we spiritually devoted literally a thousand hours minimum to following Jesus, to learning to walk spiritually? What would happen to your life? What would happen to your family? What would? How could God use you Right? If you weren't afraid to fall 17.4 times an hour. If you weren't uh, afraid to make the choice to discipline and invest a thousand hours into following Jesus. Right? We have to get back to that freedom. And just expect that you're gonna mess up. Anyone mess up this week? Anyone? Anyone sitting next to someone that messed up this week? <laughs> <laughs> right? What, my oldest daughter, you know, have a great relationship with her, and sometimes things don't, don't go as planned and, and life happens. And, and i love to tell her, I said, Well, welcome to the human race. Right? So turn to the person next and say, Welcome to the human race. Woo! Right? We would all like to, wouldn't it be, how many of you ever said, Lord? come when I put my faith in Jesus, you just couldn't take away the sin, the sin nature? Why couldn't I just walk on water immediately? Or, here's another one, Lord, when I put my faith in Jesus, how come you just didn't take me to heaven? How many would have liked that deal? Yeah. Faith in Jesus, right to heaven, oh, right back to the right? But no, you put your faith in Jesus, He gives you a new nature, He indwells you with the Holy Spirit, He says, I've given you everything you need for life and godliness, now walk! Right? Why is that? Because as we walk, remember it's very important. What is the purpose of growing up into Christ? What is the purpose of not staying spiritually infants and spiritually crawling? What is the purpose of growing up? Right? We looked at this before. Matthew 5.16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and what? Glorify your Father in heaven. 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. First Peter two nine. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare, advertise, the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful life. Why should we desire to grow up? Why should we desire to spiritually walk? Why should we not be afraid of falling? Why should we invest a thousand hours or more? Why? Praise the <laughs> Lord. It's not about us. It's not about what I get out of it. It's not about how He's going to bless me and how what He's going. It's not about me. It's Him transforming me from the inside out, so that He gets all the glory, so that people look at you and go, "What happened to you?" I want that. This God really does exist. This is right. That's why we're to grow up. That's why we're to walk one step at a time. And so last week we looked at meekness, right? Ephesians 4, 2 says, Be completely humble and gentle. In the King James it said, With all lowliness and meekness. And we saw some versions say gentleness, and really meekness is the more accurate Greek word, and and it's really a disposition of heart, right? It's a fruit of the Spirit. It was used to describe Moses. He said he was the most meek out of any man on the planet. Jesus says, I'm meek. Jesus described himself as meek, right? And, and we saw that, that really meekness, the challenge with us, even maybe today if you weren't here, meekness sounds so much like weakness, that if I, if, if we're called to be meek, it doesn't really light your fire, necessarily, if you don't understand it. Right? Because we tend to equate meek as a mouse, right? We put this picture up, right? When Jesus says, I am lowly and meek, he wasn't talking about he's a mouse. And when it says in Ephesians 4.2, right, be completely humble and gentle or meek, he's not talking about all of you becoming church mice and weak and passive and docile and doormats, right, where I come from growing up. We said it's not being a punk, right? It's not being a punk. That's not meekness at all, right? In fact, Meekness is strength under control. The Greeks talked about a wild animal being tamed, strength under control, right? There's justify, winner of the Kentucky Derby, he just won the Preakness, right? Strength under control. That's when he says, be meek? He's like, you know how before you used to be all crazy, before you knew Jesus and you invested a lot of time and energy and a lot of resources in You're like crazy wild living, Right? All of us probably, in some ways you could probably relate to that. Before you knew Jesus, you were just out there, and you were your own boss, and no one could tell you what to do, right? He says, hey, bring all of that crazy, wild living under control for Jesus. All of that time, all that energy, and all that stuff in you that just was used for yourself, and used for the devil, and used for the... Bring it all under control for God. That's meekness. That's meekness. Those are the people that you want to be around. People that have just, you know, they didn't lose who they were because God made you the way you are. He just said, hey, bring your personality. Bring your talents. Bring your resources. All under my control. All under my power for my purpose. Do that. Do that, right? And so we saw that there was a choice we had to make. Which one are you going to be? The mouse What's the staff. It's a choice you make. It's a choice you make. Because biblical meekness is the big guy. But some of us are stuck here. Some of us are stuck right here. That's how you see yourself. And you're challenged. You're challenged right away. You're, there's, there's, there's something like, Really? Really? I'm called to have strength under the control? I'm, I, I'm not called to be passive and docile and a punk? You mean Christians aren't doormats? No, 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 no. Jesus was not a doormat. Jesus was strength under control. Right? You remember that story where they come to arrest Jesus and his disciple pulls out his sword and hacks his ear off and Jesus says, whoa, 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 put your sword away. Don't you know I could call down 12 legions of angels? But we've got we to walk through, because this is God's plan. And if you and I are going to walk in God's will, if we're going to follow Jesus out into a hostile world, if we're going to follow Jesus in an imperfect church made up of imperfect people, we got to do it with meekness. You're going to have to do it with meekness. Right? We saw that, that meekness also affects how we receive the Word of God. Right? James 1.22, actually one twenty one. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. Right? Meekness affects your teachability. When you're humbled and you allow God through His Spirit to bring it all under His control, suddenly, <coughs> Your heart is prepared to receive his word his word and then I love the next verse do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says We talked about this a couple months ago that's a very powerful verse, the core verse for us in this church for um, seven years because that word says, hey don't just go to church and listen don't just pop into a ser- don't just pop a sermon up on your iTunes or your podcast. Don't just read a good biblical book and think that's good and call it good. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Very powerful word we've talked about before. That word deceive is actually deluded. What James is saying, if you come to church and you think that just listening to me or whoever is up here is good enough, James one twenty-two says you're deluded. You've deluded yourself. You're deceived. That's not the point. The point of the Bible is not information. It's transformation. Mm -hmm. We're not here to to disseminate and lecture at you like school, where you just pack it all away here for future reference. How many of you have ever been in a class, and you ask this question out loud or to yourself or to your friends, when am I ever going to use this? (laughs) Anyone? Sometimes I think we do that at church. We come, but we don't come in meekness with our heart prepared to receive the living and active Word of God through the Holy Spirit. And so we may actually come to church and sit there and go, When am I ever going to use this? And that's, it's, a, it's a reflection of our heart. It's a reflection of our heart. That's a powerful verse. Don't come on Sundays to just hear something and walk away in the classic phrases, Well, that was a good sermon. I gotta share that with so-and-so because they really need that. Right? That's a deflection. It's the Bible says we're deluded if we come here to just hear information and not do anything with it. Not do anything with it. Right? So to that end, I'm thinking, okay, Lord, biblical meekness. What am I supposed to do with that? What's the application for me, Mr. Pastor Guy? Right? And so, you know, I I spent Sunday and I'm, you know, I think we agree with James 122. Okay, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. But I think sometimes I take for granted that you know how to do that. I think many of us sincerely want to be doers of the word. you are like, how do you do that? What does that mean? Well. And it's like this. It's a, we talk about Christianity being a relationship. So, I study and we teach on biblical meekness last uh, Sunday. And then as soon as I'm done here, right, I mean, I'm a believer first and a pastor second, so I'm like, okay, Lord, speak to me about this. I don't want to just be a hearer about meekness. What am I supposed to do with this? I don't want to be deluded. So I started, I just, you know, I'm redoing my notes, and God. Okay. And and I wish I could just say, well, here's the formula. Truthfully, it's a relationship, and you open up your heart in humility, and you say, Lord, speak to my heart. Show me things that maybe I don't even want to see. How does this apply to me? You say it's living and active. You say that I'm transformed. I'm sanctified by your truth. Okay, so we've just talked about biblical meekness. What does it mean for me? And I just want to share with you that, that... it's there's, there's not a quick thing. You know, I'm chewing on this. I'm driving. I'm doing everything I'm doing, but it's always about the deep me- meekness. And I just want to share with you just sort of testimonial of what it what it means with biblical meekness after last Sunday. Sometimes my kids don't understand. I'll tell you know. Sometimes I take notes on me. <laughs> I'm like, Man, that was a good sermon. <laughs> what I mean by that is God speaks to my heart. God speaks to my heart, and I'm listening to Him as much as I'm talking to you. He's talking to me. And so I have to leave here, and I'm like, okay. So in this biblical meekness this week, he said, okay, I'm going to be a doer. First thing that came to mind was those pictures, and one of them was the untamed. He says, okay. What areas in your life, Richie, are you still trying to throw off my authority? What areas of your life do you still not want to surrender? What areas in your life are you resisting me and pulling away? What areas in your life are you just trying to get me off of you? Because <laughs> you don't, that's your pet thing. And so I'm working through this picture, and God says, okay, you want to be a doer? How about these areas? Where you're untamed, Where you just, quite frankly, are struggling. You're either pulling away, you're resisting, you're not submitting, you're not yielding. You still want to be the boss. You still want to be out there running around doing your thing, right? That was one area. And then the other picture that came to mind was back to the mouse. And I'm like, mouse? And I'm thinking about this meekness, not passive, not docile, not a doormat, not a punk, all this kind of stuff, right? And then the Lord begins to kind of speak to my heart about seasons and and things in my life growing up where circumstances happened. And I felt, and this word came to my mind this week, I felt powerless. There was a deep sense of powerlessness. Didn't grow up in the best neighborhood down in South San Diego. Lots of games and, and you sort of work through that, sort learn how to adapt certain parts of campus you go to, you don't go to, certain parts of the neighborhood, it's all racially divided. So you learn to play the game pretty quick. But in that, you can develop this deep sense of powerlessness. Powerlessness. And then life circumstances can happen as a little kid. And it can flip your world upside down. And decisions are made, and things happen that are literally out of your control. You're powerless. You're just powerless. And you just learn to cope. You just learn to cope. And I'm I'm, I'm thinking, okay, why? How does this? Why are you bringing this these things up? What, what's going on? Because well, as a believer, you're called to have strength under control. As a believer, you've been given everything you need for life and godliness. As a believer, you have resurrection power, right? So then why, Richie, in certain areas of your life, are you still living with this false belief of powerlessness? Why are you still living under this notion you can't go there, or you're going to get hammered by that gang, or you can't speak up, because if you speak up, who knows what's going to happen as a consequence of you speaking up. And this deep sense of powerlessness that that I didn't even know I was carrying around As I'm seeking the Lord about meekness, and meekness is strength under control, and meekness is the racehorse, and meekness is the stallion, there's a part of me that as much as I want that, there's this whole part of my whole life that says, No! You can't! You are powerless! Just sit there! Just deal with it! There's nothing you can do! Just be quiet! Where you choose to withdraw, or I choose to withdraw, or I choose not to speak up, or I choose not to, not to confront, or I choose not to even be truthful. I just choose to bury my opinion, I choose to bury my true feelings, I choose to bury, I choose just for the sake of peacemaking, which isn't real peacemaking, it's more just sh- sit down and shut up. Right? It's just powerlessness. So there's this part of me that, that Is battling with, with just, just go to the corner, just withdraw, just, just be quiet. Just be quiet. And then there's this other part where I realize this sense of powerlessness is manifesting itself because I'm now bought into this, well, if I feel deeply powerless in my heart and in my self-esteem, I'm just powerless, well maybe I need, maybe I need a four-wheel drive truck. Some image that's gonna portray power, strength, because I don't feel it inside. So now I gotta somehow fool other people that I have it. So maybe it's a material possession, maybe it's money, maybe it's the car you drive, maybe it's a title, maybe being senior pastor is really just a bunch of hooey. Because you were going to be a lawyer, and that was a lot to... of. And then when I decided and I was called to be a pastor, that wasn't received really well in the world I came from. So is being a senior pastor just the, the Christian equivalent of being a lawyer, being status? Now I arrived. Now I have power. Is this just a power trip? Is this just just a way of me trying to compensate for deep powerlessness, right? And I'm working through this, and I'm like, "Holy cow!" And I preach this thing, and I'm still working through it, and, 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 it's, and it's painful, and it's and it's it's like, and you're like. And so I go, I go back to the mouse and the stallion. And, and, and that's where I am. I put those up, the mouse and the stallion, right? It's not, a, it's not like I heard the sermon and it all got fixed this week. I heard the sermon and God said, well, let's start peeling back the onion layers here. And I gotta be honest with you, there's a part of me There's a part of me that grew up and knows this really well. Knows how to play the mouse really well. In fact, I know it so well that I can be the mouse, but I can come across really strong and really aggressive because I'm still the mouse. It's not true strength from inside out. It's just compensation. It's deep insecurity, it's deep fear, it's deep anxiety, it's deep, it's deep, it's deep. And so, deep inside, I really feel like a church mouse, but I, uh, uh, there's no way you're going to ever know. Because if you get close enough, I'm going to just bite your head off. Because you stay there, right there. Right? And I work and do this, and, and I go, that's the, be a doer of the word. I don't know how I'm going to be stuck in this, meeting. this man, it's just real. Because I didn't even realize how deep it was. This sense of powerlessness. Deep powerlessness. And and the challenge it is to to bring this rearing, and and I don't want to live in the past, because here's the crazy thing. The Bible says I'm a new creation. The Bible says I'm a new creation in Christ. The Bible says I have a new nature. The Bible says I'm a child of God. The Bible says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Bible says I'm not being given a spirit of fear, but of uh, power, love and a sound mind, right? The Bible says it is not it is God who works in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure, right? This whole walking in newness of life. And I'm like, okay then. Deep sense of powerlessness and church What do you do with that? What do you do with that? Right? And quite honestly, I've learned, and some in this process, it's like a little kid learning to walk all over again. It's just like a little kid learning to walk all over again. Because now, as I do with life, now as I see me, now as I see circumstances around me, now that I know what I know, I'm challenged to react differently, to think differently, to choose to feel differently, to choose to walk differently. Through the power of the Holy Spirit and who I am in Christ, I now realize. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm no longer in bondage to my past. It all happened. It's all there. It's all real. But every day I can make a choice to walk in meekness, strength under control. And I've really I've been like, what does that mean, strength under control, strength under control? And I'm really realizing it's His strength under His control for His purpose, for His glory. <laughs> Think, it's all about him. It's all about him. The minute I, I the minute I turn the lens back onto me, I go right back into church mouse mentality. I get that fast. Whether that's the be quiet or it's the over the top compensated look at me. I made it as a man thing, right? His strength, his control, his purpose, his glory. And I'm, trying to, I'm trying to work through that. It's changed how I view. Me. It's changed how I view my marriage, it's changed how I view parenting, it's even changed how I view as a pastor. Because what it goes back to the motives, it goes back to why you've been doing what you're doing. What's been really driving you? Have you been trying to compensate? Have you been trying to hide? It's actually helped me to understand a lot of the ways I used to react to things too. Because I realized that a lot of the ways I was reacting to things was really not out of being yielded to the Holy Spirit, it was it was a reaction out of powerlessness. Just a deep sense of powerlessness. And mostly just being in the flesh. Reacting. Like when Neil. When they came to arrest Jesus and his disciple pulled out the sword to him. So what I would do. Get too close. Injure me. Threaten me. Whoosh. And Jesus was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. put your sword away. Don't you know? I can call out twelve legions, And so I'm understanding that that meekness is not only setting me free from the past, it's also helping me now to, to understand how we deal with how people in life treat us. Right? How people in life treat us. There's a wonderful quote by Albert Barnes that says, meekness or gentleness relates to the manner in which we receive injuries, we are to bear them patiently and not to retaliate or seek revenge. The meaning here is that we adorn the gospel when we show its power in enabling us to bear injuries without anger or a desire of revenge or with a mild and forgiving spirit. See meekness not only sets us free to be who we are in Christ, but then it frees us to go out and deal with a very painful world. And it's really interesting in Ephesians 4, 2. He's talking to the church. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. He's talking to the church. He says, hey, church, in humility and meekness, next step, be patient with one another. Be patient. Right? Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Really, the Greek word for patience means long burning." Long burning versus a short fuse. Anyone with a short fuse? Right? So when it says be patient, the word patience, the word picture is long burning, having a long fuse. Right? It is the ability not to lose patience. I love this. When people are foolish, not to go irritable when they seem unteachable. It is the ability to accept the folly, the perversity, the blindness, the ingratitude of men, and still to remain gracious and still to toil on. Whew! You want to say, be careful what you pray for? I don't want to pray for patience. Right? What are you afraid of? Right? It says, be patient. How do you normally respond to irritable, unteachable, rude, Harsh, inconsiderate people. Patience, right? Isn't it amazing that patience is a fruit of the spirit, which means it's a supernatural act of God? Huh? Especially for those parents, maybe. Right? Patience is a supernatural fruit of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Right? So in humility and meekness, we go out into the church made up of imperfect, rude, irritable, demanding people before you leave here today. And then you're going to go to work tomorrow and school and have to deal with irritable, rude, harsh, inconsiderate people. And in the midst of all of this, he says, hey, uh, humility, meekness, patience, third step. What? Right? Right? And then he says, bearing with one another. That bearing with one another is is forbearance. Forbearance. It's self-restraint, a holding back. To bear with one another, the word picture is a truce. Right? Two warring armies, they call it truce. But here's the deal. The truce has a time limit. So, if I'm going to bear with one another, I choose to restrain myself. I choose to hold back. Right? I don't just unload on you. I choose to bear with you. In love. That's what he's talking about, right? It has a limit. It has a limit. 1 Thessalonians uh, Thessalonians 5.14 says, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, Warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage, disheartened, help the weak. I love this. Be patient with everyone. How many of you think that's a work of God in your life? If you've already said, impossible, that's exactly where you need to be. It is impossible in the flesh. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And that comes out of humility and meekness. You see how it all flows? Humble yourself before God. You are God, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. I'm not. I need you. I go forth in meekness. Your control, your power, your purpose, your glory. Now I can be patient in you. Right? My patience comes out of humility, which comes from Him. That's what's happening here. It's uh, it's progressive, right? Psalm 103.8 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Abounding in love. And so we move forward in patience and forbearance, bearing with one another in love. And what's the root of this? What's what's how do we how do we keep our focus when someone is maybe even intentionally wounding us, injuring us? You know, where I come from talking trash about you? Right? How do you deal with that? What are you gonna do with that? How are you gonna respond? Are you gonna be patient and bear with them? In love? Where does that come from, right? Hey, it comes from God to be. There's also this. We're reminded of God's patience and forbearance with us. If you want a bit of a gut check before you unload on someone, spend some time meditating and thinking about God's patience and forbearance with you before you came to know Him. Just think about that. Right? Let's think about that. Romans two four. Do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Right? How many of you have ever thought, you know what, if I was God, I would have wiped this planet out a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> How many of you... Realize, like, if you were God, things would happen a lot quicker around here. Certain people would no longer be taking up space on this globe if you were God. And then God, in His patience and forbearance, says, no. I'm that way because I love. And I'm giving people people as possible, ample time to repent and come to know That's God's crazy graciousness. Amen. That is it! Right? When you scratch your head and say, Lord, why don't you just? And, you're, and, you're, and you get angered, righteously angered, uh, angered about things that you see, and you're like, what is going on? How come God doesn't just?" Where's the lightning bolt for crying out loud? Right? You sit there and you get, you get angry. And if you're not careful, you get angry at God. And all the while, you forget. He's still God. And in His kindness, His forbearance, His patience, He's allowing people to come to Him. Just like He did for you and me. So before you're too quick to want to zap someone, just with all the love in my heart, someone probably said that about you. <laughs> Lori, can you just zap Bill, please? If I was God, Bill would have been gone a long time ago. We were there. We were on the flip side. And God's forbearance and patience for us should humble us and in meekness and supernaturally enable us to be patient and forbearing with others. Right? 2 Peter 3, 8, 9. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow. He is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You get it now? Amen. That's the glory of God's grace and His patience and forbearance. That's how deeply He loves a wicked world. He's not giving up. He's not giving up. And that's, that's to tell even what we do here as a church, every day we're called to just not give up, to be faithful, to stay the course. And we've been blessed over seven and a half, almost eight years of seeing God transform you. Some of you have come to know the Lord in the last seven years. Some of you, 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 are, you are so radically different than you were when we first met you. So if God hasn't given up on you, why would we? Why would we? Right? Is it easy? Oh no. Especially beginning with the church. Is it easy in the church? Oh no, 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 no. Not at all. Not at all. It's supernatural. And that's why Jesus says, "They, The world will know you're my disciples by how you what? Love one another. It begins with the church. Our testimony, our patience, our forbearance, our love for one another is the testimony. It is the testimony. How we treat one another is the testimony. That's it. That's it, right? 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. You know what? We can grow to be the biggest church in this valley, we might build another building over there, but if we don't have love here, we don't need that. We're just a bunch of people getting together in fancy, fancy buildings. Without love, I don't even think. Biblical love, agape, self-sacrificial love. Self-sacrificial love. And you're like, okay, where does that begin? back at the cross. Close this, First John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. Then you connect. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His As an atomy sacrifice for our sins. Did you catch that? This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. If you're here this morning, you may not even realize or say out loud that you don't love God, but here's a radical truth. He loves you. (laughs) He loves you, and he has been patient, and he has been bearing with you, and and he's just giving you ample opportunity. Just come. I love you that much. It's my kindness that will lead you to repentance. Right? And then he says this to the church, verse eleven, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You see, that's what makes the church the church. If we will totally grasp humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, and love, the world will sit up and take on us. What would happen, really? If we genuinely loved each other in this room in the same way that God loves us, the world would sit back and go, There's something supernatural happening. And I want to be a part of that. Because God made human beings to be relational, God made human beings to love and be loved. And if we're going to manifest that here, people will come. And then when they come, we say, Let me introduce you to Jesus. Let me introduce you to Jesus. Because this is only possible because of him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you, God. For your love. Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not that we loved you, but that you loved us we even realized the degree the sounding under your control. And yet, even as they sit here, they might just feel this overwhelming sense of powerlessness because they know what waits for them outside the doors.